God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a one to two sentence review on iTunes or wherever else you can give it a little push. It helps the show reach more listeners, plus it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming David Sachs to the show. David is an award-winning television writer and executive producer. He wrote on Empty Nest, won an Emmy on The Simpsons, won a Golden Globe on Third Rock from the Sun, produced on Malcolm in the Middle, and for the last few years has been back in animated TV with Nickelodeon's Pig Goat Banana Cricket, and currently TBS's Final Space. He graduated from Harvard, edited the Harvard Lampoon, and specific to this conversation is a respected Torah scholar and hosts a weekly podcast called Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World, which you can find on iTunes. I was introduced to David by our dear friend Jeff Astroff, who wrote Trial and Error, and I'm honored, I'm thrilled, and I can't believe he drove across town this early to visit me before work. Welcome to the show, David. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Oh, man, it's a real honor. I was referencing uh, to David before the show started that, and as I referenced in the introduction, we have a real dear friend in Jeff Astroff who introduced us, and Jeff was the third episode on my show, and from the very beginning, and also we were working together at the time, and from the very beginning, he spoke glowingly about you. I don't that's know if that nice. will, that's he'll, he'll nice. deny it, I'm yeah. sure, the next time you talk to him. <laughs> but no, he uh, he has a lot of respect for you and clearly your spiritual preaching or spiritual guidance. And it's very exciting you know, to have you I, in front of can me. Can I tell you something? I don't, I don't preach and I don't really guide Yeah, I thought that preaching purpose. was maybe the wrong word, yeah, but guiding no, 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 is no. not the I right just, word. I, I don't even guide. I mean, um, honestly, I, ju I just try to be a friend. Sometimes just through the, the act of friendship, um, guidance will happen. And sometimes uh, teachings that have inspired me will, will be part of the conversation. So maybe you can call that preaching. It's a, but it, it's, it's never in that guise. It's always just this sort of organic kind of thing of just trying to make a connection with another human being and, and just caring about them, and then and then whatever flows, flows. Well, it's probably specifically not preaching because it doesn't sound like you're doing, you're not initiating the outreach. They're that's coming right. to you, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah, that's yeah. not preaching. You're right. That's yeah. that's being a, I mean, maybe counselor, but maybe not even that much. You're just a friend is what you're yeah, saying. You're exactly. coming, people are looking to you exactly. for some thoughts to people, bounce some things off of. And friendship is so important. People people need friends. You, yes. know, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a very lonely life. It's a very lonely world. And if you can if you can just connect with just another human being, just that that can be that can be life, you know? Yes. David, I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to talking to you. It's clear yeah. that what's what's really struck me about that moment is you clearly live in this space. It took you about three minutes to get to the absolute kind of center of where I like this show to live is in just a place of kind of honest emotional exchange about the struggles and joys that we all go through. Um, I want to ask you yeah, a more chronological sure. stuff to get, because yeah, yeah. part of what I love and the way I like to hear stories is I like to know where people come from. I feel like I can relate to people better and understand 
where they come from better and have more appreciation for their thoughts if I understand what helped form them. So that's part of it. But a part of me also wants to just dive into your deep thoughts on these subjects. So You know, it's funny, and, and we'll do, you know, I want to respect the, the, the format that you're, you're comfortable with, and we can talk about life story and things like that, but you remind me of something, which is sometimes people will take a trip to, say, Israel or Jerusalem for the first time, and, you know, I'll find out about that. And I always give them the same advice, which is that um, when you go, don't make small talk. Mm. You know, you're going to be around, like, people who, who know, like, encyclopedic amounts about this world and the next world and metaphysics. And if you talk to them about the weather, they will talk to you about the weather. Right. And you will never encounter these type of conversations unless... I said, you know, you meet someone like that, like you meet someone who like you're inspired by, ask him, why am I alive? Why is there a world? What am I supposed to do with my time? And they will get right into it with you. Wow. <laughs> That's wonderful. Aren't yeah. that, I, are you telling me you, you will sometimes do that just with people you're interacting with on the street? Or are you, do, you, do you go as far as to just you sort know, of... My rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, he, he's not in this world anymore, but he, he, he said something one time that always stayed with me. He said, you know, if you're walking down the street and someone stops you and they ask you, what, what time is it? He said, they don't want to know the time. They want to know, what should I do with my life? Huh. Will you elaborate more on what you think he's saying with that. I think I I have an intuitive understanding, and maybe it's best left as a mystery, and the comment is best left for the person to intu intuit what that thought is. But would you mind giving me the way it, the way it landed for you? Yeah, for me, it's sort of like, um, well, I, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. Please. So this, this same teacher, the same teacher who said that, he, he was... He was like a master at greeting people. And you can give someone so much life just by smiling and just... To me, one of the greatest ways you can greet someone is just as soon as you see them, you say, you look great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's so many people who like... And you'll never see it and they'll never tell you about it, but it's, it's a giant act of courage for them just to step out of their front door. You know, the, the, the scene that gets cut from every movie, that it's that long stare in the mirror and it's just like the shaking of the head. And, and you hear validation from another person. Hey, you look great. You know, you have no idea how much life you can give to another person. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, he was someone who was able to do that. And he, he wouldn't, he'd say it in many different ways. But so here's the story, true story. So a woman was walking down the street and he's standing in front of a restaurant. He had just finished having breakfast with this other person. And they both, know the, they both knew this woman. And um, the person that, he, that my teacher was having uh, breakfast with looked at this woman and said, you look terrible. <laughs> and this was like, you know, that's like prosecutable offense in yeah. this guy's eyes. You know, yeah. so it's like, like, what are you doing? And then he jumped in and then just tried to, you know, build her up, make her feel good, you know. And, you know, she left and went on her way. And sometime later, I don't know how long afterwards, uh, uh, my teacher saw her again. And she says, you know, you should wish me, they were Jewish, you know, I'm Jewish. Uh, they, he said, well, you should, uh, she said, wish me a mazel tov, meaning that um, I've had a happy occasion in my life. Let's, let's celebrate it together, you know. 
uh, like congratulations, basically. And he's like, oh, what happened? You know, tell me. She says, do you remember when you saw me that day? He says, yeah. She said, someone had asked me to marry me, marry him. And she said, I was on my way to his house to tell him I don't need your charity. And then when you said all those nice things to me, I started thinking, you know what, maybe, maybe he loves me. And so I accepted the proposal. See, what, what that tells me, what that tells me, and we'll get back to the, someone asking you the time on the street. What that tells me is there's so many people, and I think this is more true than not true for, for everyone. We're at crossroads. People go through their lives and they won't tell you about it because either they don't want to talk about it or just the simple truth is they're not close enough with you to share something like that. But they're at a crossroad. And one kind word hmm. can literally shift the direction of their lives. And people intuitively sense that they, they need community. They need that connection. And they don't have the courage to get right into it with another person. But maybe they can stop you and ask you, hey, do you know what time it is? Mm -hmm. When do you think you tuned into this in your life? Do you have a, was there like an epiphanic moment? Was there an epiphany for you at some point? Or was the did you have a connection to this type of spiritual communion with other people from a young age? You know, I, I remember there was, I don't think, I don't even know if this store exists anymore, but when I was growing up in New York City, Bloomingdale's, if you, if you I know Bloomingdale's, does it still yeah. exist? Do you know? I think there's a Bloomingdale's here in LA. Yeah. Uh, but I've yeah, been to the Bloomingdale's store. Yeah. I, I think I bought something at Bloomingdale's in New York once. I yeah. spent money for it. Well, in New York, it was like a, an institution, kind of like right. Barney's, although Barney's right. it was. It used to be kind of ways. like a movie thing, too, right? Like it would, if you were going to buy something nice, sometimes you'd shoot it, you know, like the character goes to Bloomingdale. Yeah, sure. Right? It, was very, like, it was like a high-end, cool place. Yeah. And um, anyway, there was, a, there was a man when I was growing up, and he was kind of like a New York fixture for like a long period of time, but Do you, mind you know, long since about, gone. About what age you are? Uh, in my 50s, yeah. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, what age? I'm sorry. What age were you when? when... Yeah, so I was uh, six years old. Okay, okay. He sold pencils out of a tin can in front of Bloomingdale's. And he wasn't just blind. He didn't have any eyeballs in his sockets. Whoa. And I remember being six years old and... Um, just looking at him and I remember just crying, just mm -hmm. crying, crying, crying. Yeah, that that was that that's a intense memory. So I don't know if that's uh if that's indicative of anything, but Well, um, clearly it yeah. is. It's exactly where your mind went. Yeah. I how often do you think about that? Almost never. At six, did you have parents that were um, devout or active in your temple or community? Well, yes and no. I, I was raised in a, a in terms of um, religious identity. The, the, the home was strongly Jewish, 
but we weren't what would you, you would call observant. You know, in, in other words, we we sort of kept the the major things like the high holidays, like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, things like that. For the most part, you know, things like keeping kosher or the Sabbath or things like that, we weren't. I, I did come to that later in life, so I, I do observe those things now. But I sort of arrived at it, you know, um, after I graduated college in my twenties and things like that. I came to it. But my dad uh, was a psychologist, uh, practicing psychologist for fifty years, and he had the practice in the house. In so the I was, house, yeah. So I was interacting with um, with patients, with his patients, and yeah, there was a very, very strong level of um, empathy that was built, and and for my mom too. My mom was just they were always helping people, and I'll tell you a memory. Growing up, I lived in an apartment building in New York City on 79th Street and Broadway, a famous building actually. It's called the Apthorpe. If uh, any of your listeners are on the Upper West Side in New York. Whenever I came home from school, I'd get into the elevator, and there was like a little stool in the in this small elevator, and it was like the, a seat that would fold up against the wall. So, you know, just because it was such a small elevator, you'd want to make extra room. But anyway, oftentimes that stool seat was down, and underneath there would be a, uh, a ceramic mug and a little plate, and the mug would be empty, and, the, and there would be nothing on the plate. But... That was always there because my mom would bring the elevator man a cup of tea and some cookies or some cake. And if it wasn't there when I'd get to my front door, there would it, it would be there by the, by the front door on, on the floor. You've got like small towns and things like that. So what I'm about to say, probably for all those people in those type of communities, won't sound strange. But, but I promise you, in New York City, what I'm about to tell you is strange. <laughs> Because you don't know your next-door neighbors. You literally don't know your next-door neighbors' names, you right. know? My mom would bake cakes for the firemen, <laughs> where the fire station was several blocks away. Now, again, that I imagine in places in the country, that's like normal, decent behavior. Listen, I'm from Omaha. <laughs> I mean, my mom and dad are wonderful, but we weren't baking cakes for firemen. But in New York City, that's like outrageous. <laughs> that's like crazy stuff, you know? So all this is, you know, in tribute to my parents that they, um, yeah, you know. There was an attention yeah. to the individual, both yeah. of them. There was an attention to making connections one-on-one, -on -one, it seems. I mean, your yeah. father's dedication was one-on-one. -on -one. Your mother's, whatever her professional life was, her active life was about making face-to-face -face interactions and face-to-face -face positive experiences, it seems yeah. like. It seems yeah, like yeah. it seems like in some ways you come from a couple of people who are really paying attention to person by person. And maybe yeah. this is one of the reasons why a six-year-old... I, I, I feel like um, I hesitate when I like something like this, to distinguish that people that do this are better at doing something than somebody else who doesn't do this, right? There's like a habit to say, I really like what you did and what you're saying. People who don't do that might feel, you know, that they're lesser than or something. But I like, I also very much like having one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I, I'm trying to get at the center of the question that distinguishes a person that sees someone with no eyes on the street from someone who doesn't see someone with no eyes on the street. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to get at? I don't know yeah. how to ask the question. Right, right. Do you understand what I'm trying to ask? Or yeah. maybe could you take a stab at it? Yeah, sure. Uh, and you know something, since I'm Jewish, and you know, I know you're having people from all different types of traditions on, on your show, 
So let me just say something from the, the Jewish perspective. You know, one of, the, one of the things that's, you know, in the kind of the public mind, uh, uh, I guess that's a, the, the key word, um, uh, is, is mindfulness. Mm. And in, in a way, I, th- I think maybe you're, you're, you're getting to that a bit. Um, like what is, like, you know, you hear this word a lot. What is mindfulness? And I think on, on some level it is the difference between someone who would walk by someone who's, um, say, stretched out on the sidewalk and, and say a kind word to them or give them a, a dollar or something like that or whatever they had in their pocket, and someone who would just not only walk by, but walk by without even seeing them, right? So mindfulness is sort of like kind of being in the moment. And if you think about it, and this is like something you can think about for a long time, it's maybe it almost sounds like a cliche, but it really isn't. All we have is the moment because... You don't have the past because it's over, and you don't have the future because it hasn't arrived yet. So literally, life is literally just a series of moments. Now, 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 now. And that's it. That, that's literally it, if you want to strip it down. So what's Jewish about that? I mean, that's, that's for everyone, right? So we have something called um, the Sabbath or Shabbos or Shabbat. And what that does is, even though I hate this word, but it's it's the appropriate word for now, it institutionalizes mindfulness. What that means is, is that for 25 hours, once a week, you unplug. There's no screens, no technology, all the cooking and shopping um, for the meals. You have like three really nice meals. Um, it's all been prepared in advance. So it's like, you know, you just, it's all there. It's all done. All the, it's, it's all been done. You put on your best clothes. Like everyone sits around the table and they have conversations with each other. It's like genuine family time. It's awesome. It's really awesome. Now, now I'm going to tell you something mystical, okay? And it's going to get back to what you're saying about who sees and who doesn't see, right? So one of the, you say a blessing over the wine before you begin the meal. Okay, you talk about how God created the world, things like that. You read a passage from the, from the Torah. And here's the mystical idea. While that's going on, you look into the Shabbos candles, right? Because um, there's a special, special thing to do that you light candles before the sun sets, right? So they're still burning during dinner. So while you're making the blessing over the wine, you look into the candles. Now, what I'm going to tell you is very mystical, okay? They say that if you do that, it cures one five hundredth of your vision. So how, how, is, how is that the case? In other words, it takes away one five hundredth of blindness. What's the connection? I mean, that sounds like what? That sounds like totally out of left field, okay? So here's the idea. Here's the idea. If you walk by like a beautiful rose bush, you know, they say stop and smell the roses. I forgot to stop and smell the roses. What does that mean? Taking life in, being mindful, right? If you keep on hurrying past that rose bush, at a certain point, you're not going to even see it anymore. (laughs) You literally will be blind to it. But if once a week you take 25 hours and you unplug and you like reconnect yourself to the moment you literally will correct your vision. 
there are things that you'll be able to see that you wouldn't otherwise, unless you had the opportunity to kind of step out of the rat race, right? Mm. So there are tools that, that we have to be able to help us see. And I would say that all of us can see. It's just a question to um, what extent are we, do we want to see, you know? And then how much would we be willing to work on expanding our consciousness? Well, that's beautiful. Perfect time for our first break. And um, we're already on a great ride with David Sachs. See you in a second. Right, everyone, we're back with David. I wanted to ask if you could expand a little bit more. I don't know if the story is full of peaks and valleys or not, but the David Sachs in his 20s who made an active choice to start practicing Shabbat and start practicing the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rituals, uh, of which there are many in the Jewish calendar. And at what point you saw that as the appropriate most fulfilling road for yourself? Where were you in your life and what helped lead you there? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. It's a, it's a giant question. There was so much, so much going on in my life at the time. Um, I was really blessed in that I, growing up, I set really high goals for myself and I was able to, um, just through God's grace, just be able to achieve them. And at a certain point, I began to wonder, you know, I started to extrapolate and try to think, okay, well, I, I got these basic things. Like, for instance, I, I went to this high school called Bronx Science. I, I really wanted to be like the president of the student body there, and I, I got elected, you know. And then I wanted to go to Harvard, and I got in. I wanted to get on the Harvard Lampoon. I got on to that. I wanted to write for television. I, I was writing for a, you know, this award-winning HBO show when I was 21, so, you know, my career just started like immediately, you know, and at a certain point, not long after that, I was like, all right, well, there's got to be something more <laughs> going on to life, you know, and it allowed me to um, stop kind of chasing after a lot of the things, you know, that was kind of this, 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 the uniqueness of this blessing for me. Instead of spending the next decade or two decades or three decades chasing after these goals that were sort of like firmly implanted in my mind, I, you know, I'm not saying I achieved them at the highest level, but I more or less could put a, a small check mark next to them. And then it sort of made me think, okay, well, there's got to be more. You know, it's funny. I, I know you've got, uh, this is a podcast. You've got the, the the word God in the title of your, of your of your podcast and things like that. And um, God today, I think, has just the worst reputation in the world, and it's it's um, it's kind of heartbreaking because it's. I think that people when they think about God, this is just me talking right now. Just an just an impression, right? I think they think about people living up in the mountains. Um, bombing abortion clinics, or they think of people, jihadis, you know, like 
blowing up pizza shops and killing children and just like somehow that's God, right? Like I said, I, I went to I went to Bronx Science, right? Uh, and it's kind of this science-oriented thing. So I, I'm, I I didn't go into science, but I, I'm you know I'm, I'm really intrigued and fascinated by it. And and I just tell you just just some thinking, which is, let's say Darwin's right, okay? Let's say all of life really started from a single cell. So my question is, where did that single cell come from? And where did the fabric of time and space come from to support the life of that cell? Or so let's go back to the Big Bang. There was this initial explosion, this initial point that exploded, right? So my question is, where did that explosion come from? Where did that initial point come from? And where did the fabric of time and space come from to support it? And then I have a friend who's one of the top physicists in the world, who's a childhood friend of mine and a famous guy. He added to the question, actually. He said, where did the laws of physics come from to channel the energy of that explosion in a coherent way to make the physical universe? Even more so. Yeah. So we pressed him on that. So we said, okay, yeah, so how did something come out of nothing? And he said, and this is one of the top, top people in the entire world. He said, we don't know. Right. Right. So so if the smartest people in the entire world, the entire world, are saying, we don't know. And then I love this. I'll just tell you an aside because this just makes me smile. There's some people go, well, wait a second. Actually, there are millions and billions and trillions of alternate universes. And what happened was, this is just one of them where you, like, if you see coherence here, it's not because there is a creator. It's just because this is one of millions and trillions of parallel universes where coherence exists. So the reason why I think that is somewhat hilarious is because to escape saying that there's a creator, you have to posit something which requires way more belief. Mm. <laughs> you have to mm. you have to posit millions and trillions of parallel universes just to escape the idea like in other words it's so much more logical to just say well no there here it is there's there's just a creator right it's certainly simpler <laughs> i mean it's simpler in that it answers it, it offers an explanation that can tie something up although the creator itself though is mysterious right because because one of the things that i i also love this conundrum and one of the things that um so we we all everyone you and your physicist friend ultimately say, or maybe I'm, maybe you wouldn't say this, we don't know when you come to that point. Would you say that you know and your answer is it's the creator? Do you feel a knowing? When you reach the point of what comes before the Big Bang, do you live with a, a knowing that it is the creator? And that what could also happen, obviously, is that as science has done so for now, so many thousand years, and certainly for the last 400 or whatever, they've been pushing the boundaries of what we don't know. And so what could happen is eventually that we distinguish that there are trillions of extra universes out there and they are all- But then who created those? But then who created those? There will always be an extent, 
Right. I mean, I have to imagine. There right, will right. always, you'll never, right, if right. there is a creator, we'll yes. never know the creator yes. in its essence. Yes. And if there isn't a creator, there will never be, it's infinite. So there's right. some infinite story behind it. So yeah. do you live with a, you appear to me to live with a knowing that saying the creator exists at the mystery point. Whatever the mystery point occupies at any stage in the human life time. Yeah. That you, you, you just feel comfortable saying that's the creator there. I know that. Okay. So, so I made a choice. I made a choice and that's, that, that's what it is. So here's the thing. And this is very, this is very important to know. And again, I'm, 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 I'm Jewish. I'm speaking from the, the, the Jewish tradition right now. Um, but we, we believe this is true, which is that God deliberately created the world in a way that he, his existence cannot be proved. In other words, that was God's idea. What you're describing right now, like that, that infinite beyond and we'll never know and everything like that, it's true. What you're saying is true. But here's where it gets very subtle. And I, I've never really heard, I want to write this up and eventually I'll put out a book, but I, I haven't heard anyone just say it like the way I'm about to say it. People think, and again, no one would ever articulate it this way. People think that the fact that God's existence can't be proven is because God is weak. Hmm. Because if God were stronger, he could make me believe in him. And what people, again, this is very, very subtle, very, very subtle. And what people are missing is that God created the world in a way where he can't be proven on purpose because he wants us to arrive at the understanding of his existence. That this entire world stands on this one single point of free choice. Because God has angels. And the angels see, well, no one sees God entirely except God. Because if you saw God entirely, then you'd also be God, right? Mm. So, but angels have a quantum level of revelation of God's presence, so much so that they are paralyzed in front of God. And they don't have free choice. So God desired a creature that might make mistakes, might blow it, might blow it for years and years and years and years, maybe never ever even get it right, but will have the potential to see through the materiality of this world and go, there's a creator behind all this and he's guiding all this. Hmm. And it was worth it for God that 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 should exist in his universe, the one who has the capacity to choose to believe in him. Hmm. And when you talk about knowing, do I know? I can't know because God created the world in a way that he can't be proven. But I'll tell you something that I think is very deep that I heard from my teacher. So on, in, on your mind level, you can't know, right? But the soul knows. And you know when the soul knows, you know what that's called? Faith. Mm. See, faith isn't guessing. Faith is knowledge. But it's knowledge on a soul level. Mm. 
I like that. And so you were saying you made this choice at some point. Were you studying at the time? Were you Had you met yeah. this teacher of yours yet? Did yeah. the teacher guide you to this point? Or did you come to this point and then find the teachers to help you explain it better? Yeah, so it was a, com- know it better. It was a combination of so many different things. There's so many people, and even people in the quote-unquote religious communities of the world, right? If you ask them, do you believe... Go, oh, yeah, I believe, I, I believe. And, but then if you really get into it and you really try to kind of like get deep, like really try to understand the nature of their belief, here's what, a, what I think, and I've done no surveys, but I believe a shockingly large percent of people would, would say this. I believe with absolute faith that it could be true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about religious people right, right. now. Right. And to me, that just seems silly, man. Like, if you are going to change your life and live your life in a way that you're going to try your best anyway, you know, we all make mistakes, we're all fallible, but you try your best to adhere to this higher form of living as, as you understand it, then why not just say, you know what, I can't prove it, but I'm going to live as though I know that it's true. I'm not going to tell people, you know, I'm not going to tell them, not, not on that level, not on an obnoxious level or a preachy level, but at least in terms of my own soul, let me just say, I can't prove it, but I'm dedicating my life to it, and I'm just going to accept that it's true and live like it's true, and then on a soul level, you'll, you'll, you'll know that it's true, but you'll never be able to prove that it's true. And again, that's, that's the way God wants it. Hmm. It's a great place to take another break. It leaves us a little bit of extra time in the third segment, so we'll, we'll do that. Okay, we'll be right back. Right, everyone, we're back with our final segment with David. Oh my gosh, David, I didn't even ask you what you had for breakfast. We jumped into this so quickly. <laughs> I have to ask people what they had for breakfast. You know, I had a bowl of cereal. Okay, great. Do you and, want to ask and, what and cereal? Yogurt. I had some mango yogurt. Oh, and, good, uh, good. <laughs> I think it was like bunches of honey almond something. Oh, I love honey bunches of oats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big, we grew up, I, that was a big, big, big fan of that in my family growing up. So great. Okay. Mango yogurt and, and honey bunches of oats. And a cup of coffee. And know. a cup of coffee. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm having my coffee now. Almost always, this is the first question. This is the first time I've ever asked this question in the third segment. Yeah. It really goes to show you how extraordinary your conversation has been. In our final segment here, David, I wanted to ask you, I like how you say this person is no longer in this world. You've referenced that a couple of times. This person isn't in this world any longer, which implies that there is another world. And I was hoping you'd talk more about your feelings with that, your experiences with that in your own life, people that you may have lost and what it's like to live with their loss, but it might not feel like a complete loss. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. You know, one one of the things that I've... uh... Another teacher of mine said that I always love. He said, for some people, the next world is not so real. But this world is much more, much more real. For other people, this world 
Israel and the next world Israel. He said, and then for other people, the next world is more real than this world. And I thought that was a really beautiful way of just kind of laying out, like, wow, like, you know, like categorizing things. I'll tell you something, just as it's an aside. It's also kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to derail yeah, your yeah, thought, no, 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 but no, it's, it's also just, it's a kind of nice way of humanizing, a, taking things out of like an atheistic to religious context. There's something, what I like about that is there kind of was no judgment in the way that was laid out. Yeah. I don't know if maybe it was followed up with some sense of judgment. No, but no, no. It really, it. Yeah. it was really, I liked it because I find that this conversation a lot of times exists in a, how can you not believe in the afterlife? And some people being like, right. how can you not? And there's so right. much judgment about right. someone's stance on it. But what I like is that the way you laid those three descriptions of the state of living with this world and that world out is that there is no judgment. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of getting back to something that we were talking about earlier, just the idea that that you're surprised that somehow it wasn't judgmental is just just speaks to so much just people's disconnect with God and spirituality and, and things like that, that it's surprising that a religious thought is being presented in a way that isn't alienating mm. is very heartbreaking, actually. Yes. Um, well, I, you know? I we talked briefly off mic about I don't want to go down a road of deep political thought because right. we don't have to because that's the opposite of what we want to do here. Right. But it's from my perspective, it's because so much of religious thinking has become politically associated and our politics are are of the temporal, of the now, of the world we want to see. It's good that we live in a place where these ideas can be thrown at each other in the way that they are and that the world, you know, the country exists in a place where it's okay to have those conversations. But that's so divisive by nature. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, I'm not much of a football fan these days, but um, I used to watch a lot of football growing up. And there, there's always one thing that that used to that's kind of stayed with me, kind of as a metaphor for life, because it, it 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 seemed like it used to happen a lot on the playing field. Like, and we're talking about NFL, you know, like the top top players in the game, where they they'd say, "Oh, he started running with the football before he caught it." Mm. Have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Oh, for you sure. Know? Yeah, that's the that's classic uh, way of describing somebody dropping a pass. Yeah, or dropping a handoff or something. Yeah. Where you sort of like you're taking the, the, the you're taking step two before step one, mm-hmm. and we we were prone to that because we we really human beings are amazing creatures and we're able to like make things and do things and everything like that. So so we're always thinking you know several steps ahead. We've got a plan that we're trying to enact. When it comes to religion and 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 all the religions of the world and everything like that, we have to catch the football first. So what, what does that mean? What, what is step one? And I'm talking about all faiths right now. Even if your faith will ultimately say, we have the truth. And by the way, why would you observe a tradition unless you thought that that was the truth? So there's nothing wrong with thinking that your religion is the true religion. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? But before you get into that, you got to do step one. And step one is loving each other. <laughs> mm. But I'm talking about all faiths, all faiths. Every single tradition has to begin with loving everyone. And then you can start to get into the, the details of, of, of the particular, particularness of your vision, right? 
or your tradition. But if it doesn't start with loving each other, then you're doing something, I suspect, that your God, whatever that God is, isn't into. (laughs) You seem to be saying that you can both, as you say, believe your religion is the true religion, which has some level of exclusivistic rights to it, but that also we can all love each other and respect that other people have the same exact conviction in their own beliefs? I'll tell you, one of my favorite teachings is from the Kutzka Rebbe, one of the great Hasidic masters. He said, when you see someone who doesn't look like you, you're not surprised. So why are you surprised when you meet someone who doesn't think like you? Huh. Somehow people find that shocking. <laughs> why? Huh. See, if you believe, whatever faith you believe in, you believe that, from a religious standpoint, you believe there's a God and God created the whole world and God created all people. So that means no matter what religion you are, by necessity, you have to believe that every single person is God's child. Mm. That's That's just logical. That has to come with whatever religion you are. So if we're all God's children, don't you think God wants all of his children to love each other? Mm. Would you say, would you go as far as to say God also wants to be expressed in all the different religions that the way that God is expressed? I think at this point in terms of the evolution of humanity and the world and everything like that, absolutely. Whether there will be an ultimate clarification and a a point where, you know, from our perspective, the oneness of God becomes revealed and, and clarity is sort of like ringing clear. Um... I think that probably all religions also had that built into it. Mm. But certainly, if if you want to say that there's a God, you have to believe that God is all-powerful and that he's guiding the events of the world. So that means that in in certain instances, and I'll tell you something from the Talmud, something very, very interesting. There is a certain rabbi, his name is Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest, maybe in, in some ways greater than Moses, okay? That, that's how great he was. Wow. Like Moses is, is the, the Talmud says that Moses said to God, why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? <laughs> so that's how great Rabbi Akiva was. Okay, wow. So Rabbi Akiva used to have these debates with one of these, like a, this Roman sort of like higher up, you know? And this was one of the debates. The, the Roman would say to, uh, to Rabbi Akiva, you know, when you give charity to the poor, you are doing something that's going against God. And Rabbi Akiva's like, what are you talking about? And he said, because God willed for that person to be poor. And if you're giving that person charity, you're upending God's plan in the world. Hmm. And so Rabbi Akiva said, said to him, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. And so Rabbi Akiva, in one hand, held a loaf of bread. And in another hand, he, he held some stalks of wheat. And he says to the Roman, which one is greater? And the Roman says, the loaf of bread is greater. And, he, and Rabbi Akiva said, yeah, but God made these stalks of wheat. Man made this loaf of bread. Mm. So, yes, God put this poor person in the world, but God put this poor person in the world in order for you to improve his condition, mm. like the stalks of wheat becoming bread. You see, we have to look at the world with two different sets of eyes. One set of eyes is that Whatever exists is because God put it into the world. But that doesn't mean that we can be content 
with leaving it that way. God can have put this imperfection into the world in order for us to raise it to the higher level. And, and in that way, we're partners with God in terms of evolving the world toward its ultimate perfection. And just in a basic sense, because I don't think I've ever gotten to ask this kind of basic, clear question, this is the essence of what it means to be waiting for the Messiah to some extent, right? When you talk about clarification, would you is that also does that fit into that terminology? It, it does. This, yeah. Because when right. you talk about when I ask the question about can religions coexist as right. the their definition of their true religion, right. along with as the second point to loving each other first. Yes. What you're saying is ultimately my belief is that there sh- there will be a day of ultimate clarification. When that comes, no one knows. But right that clarification will make it a moot point about what is right and wrong in the specifications of the cultural tra- cultural traditions that have come to express their revelations of, of Ab- God. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, you used a couple of very charged words, and I want to kind of address those. One is you said, waiting for the Messiah. So... So Great. we're not. I'm just, we, I was we, like, which one did? Yeah. What, what was charged? And I'm glad that you're <laughs> clarifying for me because I don't even know what was charged about what I said. So good. So we're not waiting from the Jewish perspective. Okay. We're we're working. We're working, working toward putting love and kindness into the world so that that vision can That's great. can become manifest. Very distinct. Yeah. Uh, difference well, between those yeah, W it's words. Not, it's not about passivity. Passivity right. would be the enemy, actually. Right. Right? And the other thing is the word Messiah. What I think, and I just want to, and I don't mean any disrespect to the Messiah, <laughs> I, but I think it's important to broaden the context and understand what that is, because a lot of faiths begin and end with a belief and an understanding and a debate, a debate about the, the Messiah. Who, who was the Messiah? Things like this, right? But I think we, let's just kind of like stretch our minds for a while. The Messiah is a point person that will be God's sort of conduit in terms of ushering in the next era of humanity and of civilization. So in other words, he's not the be-all and end-all. It's just a point person. Do you understand? Yes. Like in journalism, there's a, a term that that's always seems to come up in life, which is called bearing the lead. Right? Burying the lead, yes. Right. That's when you take like where the headline is, you know, man walks on moon. Can you can you imagine if um, man walks on moon is in the fifth paragraph of a news article? Right, 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 right. That's, that's the lead. Yeah. No, 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 that is the headline. That is not paragraph five. You know? <laughs> Begin with that. So the lead here is the idea that we believe, we mentioned Darwin before, and Judaism believes in evolution in the deepest way, and I'm, and I'm not talking about Darwin now, I'm talking about the sense that there, the world is evolving toward perfection. Mm. That's a much deeper understanding of what evolution is. Mm. And so there will be that transition from this era to the next era, and that will be facilitated by this point person who we call the Messiah. But that is the lead. The lead is this next era that we're all working toward. Because of the Messiah, the world will level jump to towards perfection, or does the Messiah? Well, not, does be, the Messiah... not because of the Messiah. The Messiah will just sort of be that that natural point man, if you will, in terms of ushering that transition. Huh. 
but but, it, but the Messiah yes. coming doesn't necessarily inherently mean that perfection is then imminent. Is that what you're saying? If the Messiah comes, is perfection imminent? Well, you know, there are different there's different understandings about just how that next era lays out and things like that. Mm. That gets a little more technical. Sure. But the big thought here, the big thought that I want to communicate is, and the exciting thought is that we're we're on this journey. We're on this journey as a just this family of nations, this this the, just this this world, and that God's ultimate goal was not to create a um, a broken world. Hmm. That, that it's not like where there's suffering and things like that. This is important because this is. This is a big idea. A lot of people think that like the Garden of Eden was a cosmic spa and then we blew it. And ever since then, we had perfection. We lost perfection and now we're just kind of stumbling around in the darkness. The Jewish perspective is actually that the Garden of Eden wasn't perfect. And as my teacher put it so beautifully, if the Garden of Eden was perfect... What was the snake doing there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very good question, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. So I like that very much. Yeah, yeah, right. And it just goes to show you that the project, that the project from the very outset was God created us to be partners with him in terms of ushering in this next era. And and from the outset, there have been it's been bumpy. Mm. It's been bumpy. Like from the very outset, it's been bumpy, and it continues to be bumpy, but we continue to be on that path toward that destiny, which was the point of all this to begin with. One thing that I love about this is that there's optimism in the faith. I like that the working towards something is, it's an active sense of optimism. And and as someone who also very much likes science and found science to be in conflict with many of my beliefs as I was younger, that it's welcoming of any new knowledge that can help humans grow towards a greater goodness of living. It seems that that's what you're saying, right? That That we can welcome all new knowledge about our world and utilize it in a way that helps bring as much goodness and less suffering to the world, and then that's in accordance with your ancient tradition. Yeah, so so we believe that God who created the world also created everything in the world, so that means he created science as well. So science can't disagree with religion. So if science disagrees with religion, either you got the religion part wrong or you got the science part wrong, mm. but... In essence, they have to be in agreement because they're coming from the same author. I like that assessment very much. We don't have much time left. Um, Would you mind talking for a few minutes as closing thoughts that got back to the question about the afterlife and your relationship to people that have have gone? Uh, We were going to talk about that. We derailed into a lovely conversation about something else. But would you mind, as we close out the show, talking about... Um, your relationship to the next world. Yeah, so for sure. So the idea is that your soul is a piece of God. You know, it's it's funny. If you ask people, do you believe in God? A lot of people, you know, don't want to have that conversation or 
they don't know or they haven't really thought about it much. But if you ask them, do you have a soul? It might be another, maybe more comfortable way of being able to essentially discuss all the exact same things, you know? I think a lot of people probably don't know what they think about God, haven't thought about it much. But they probably would just intuitively say, I, I do have a soul, which is interesting. That, that in itself, to me anyway, is interesting. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a piece of God inside of you, then, then for sure that outlaws, out, outlasts the body, right? I'll tell you something which is a big idea, a very, very big idea. And I, I heard this explained by Rabbi Ari Kaplan, who is you know, one of our greatest uh, Torah scholars of the modern year. And he gave a very simple analogy to explain a very big, big thought, which is, you know, you know, you have a flash drive. That's like you kind of stick that in your computer yeah. and you can take out all the software, right? So all the information can be removed from the, the physical body, if you will, right? Like your desktop or your laptop, like that's kind of like the, say, in this metaphor, that would be the human body. And there's a way to extract all the information out of it. So when your soul leaves your body, it actually leaves with your identity and all of the information about you. Now, that's, that's very, very significant because I think even spiritual or religious people who believe in a soul, who believe in the afterlife, think the following thought, which I'm going to suggest is not the case, which is that the soul then goes up into the great oneness and dissolves into godliness, and there you go. So if you think about it, it's just another form of oblivion, (laughs) you know, Mm. which is not very comforting, (laughs) right? But what we're saying is something way cooler, actually. We're saying when the soul leaves the body, you remain you because you're taking all of the information of you and your identity, your memory, everything, your consciousness, you're taking you with you when you leave your body. Mm. So if that's the case, then on a certain level, on a certain level, not exactly, but on a certain level, we're all immortal. Mm. Because, okay, it's true, the body goes. That, 100%, dead and buried. But you remain you. To me, that's eternal life. Mm. Now, if that's the case, let's get a little mathematical, but just a little. If you put something finite next to something infinite, now let's say that finite thing is huge. This world, Earl's Rise. A a Super Bowl ring, (laughs) whatever it is, 80 years, 100 years. But all those things are finite. If you put that next to something infinite, it doesn't matter how large it is. Compared to the infinite, it's nothing. So if we live forever, then this world, this life, no matter how rich, no matter how many years, it's gone. But that's not a depressing thought because 
then you keep on living. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that we have opportunities that we can only do in a body. You know something? If an angel pushes over a chair, you know what happens? Nothing. The chair remains upright. There are ways to impact this world that you'll never be able to do unless you are in a body. So on the one hand, the idea is we live forever. On the other hand, we have this limited window to do good for each other. David, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for just uh, for sharing so eloquently about these things, for helping me learn so much, and for just creating um, such a reverent space. I really appreciate it, and I feel like I could listen to you for many more hours, and I know that you have people that do, and that's a good thing. So um, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. just astonished you know what i mean it's like i'm cutting across four lanes and it's like how is this happening yeah do you do you think that um like driving like map apps like this are making us bolder drivers because they're like because now where we would have yeah. normally been like no we this is impossible i'll turn around the map that now we're driven by the map is telling me do this yeah. the map is driving me it's saying Find a way across this four lanes of traffic on a left in the middle of rush hour. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I think one one thing, which is um, I'm definitely seeing areas of Los Angeles that that are new to me. And and oh, right. I love that. I love that. Because right. you know, you get so habituated into certain ways of going and and it's so nice to just be taken out of your comfort zone. Right. There's an element of certainly like we have so much stress in the day and the drive is stressful enough. The one thing you don't want to do is be actively trying to figure out, okay, what's the, what's the shortest cut here? It's just like best to just travel, just drive down Pico, just take right. Pico. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, you know, you'll <laughs> yeah, get there. Exactly. It'll be within about plus right. or minus five minutes from right. anything else, right, right. you know, but, yeah. the, but the ways is taking you into new parts of the, Absolutely. of the city. So yeah, that's and I cool. love that. Especially when I go through you the stop hills at like and cafes. Like that. Like, I've never seen this cafe. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> not stopping at all, but I am admiring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good, 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 good.